millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. I am Bernie, and I am in Scranton, Pennsylvania, with Dan. And I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. And we are the fans of history. We are in the 550s B.C., and we are going to talk about this episode about Greece. But before we get started, I do have a, a review from a listener. If you guys want to hear it, you want to hear that, Dan? Of course. Okay. This comes from the name, code name, Jeff Galella from 9-23-2023, titled, I like to learn, but man, do I hate being taught. I've only just discovered this podcast, and for want of more... I have ripped through their entire catalog in short order. I look forward to every new podcast, even if co-workers, friends, and 12-year-old sons dread me repeating what I just learned right back into their dumb faces. <laughs> Five stars. How about that? Well, thank you, Jeff Galoa. Thank you. Yeah. Before we get going, too, I just want to do a little... This We are recording this at the end of October 2023. I, I would like to... Uh, do a shout out to Gil from a podcast of biblical proportions. Gil is from Israel, and he actually left Israel at the end of September because of the other events that were going on, but he was not there during the horrific events that happened, but his family was. Uh, he and his family are not in Israel, but it is a really tough situation for them. It's a tough situation all around, but if you check out his podcast, a podcast of biblical proportions, that would definitely help him out. And I think you guys will enjoy it, too. It's a really good podcast. And if you can get an update on, you know, what's going on there, too, he's doing some updates there now. So I'll put a link for it in the show notes. Okay. 
I'm going to quote something from one of my favorite ancient history books. These are the researches of Herodotus of Halicarnassus, which he publishes in the hope of thereby preserving from decay the remembrance of what men have done and of preventing the great and wonderful actions of the Greeks and the barbarians from losing their due meed of glory, and withal to put on record what were the grounds of their feuds. Epic. Epic, right? Wow. So begins his, his story. And, and we're kind of at the place where we're sort of mirroring Herodotus and we're ramping up to this great clash of cultures, which is really the theme of his book, East versus West, Europe versus Asia. We're barreling now towards some major events in world history. Actually, we're like in the middle of it. So Herodotus is, when he says that, he wants to talk about the feud between Asia and Europe and the, you know, the Greeks and barbarians. He's talking about the Greek-Persian Wars the late 400s BC. So we're now in the 550s BC. And if anybody else listens to history podcasts like Dan Carlin or stuff, you know, you kind of got to go back to set the story. You know, you just jump right into the five, to the Persian Wars. You kind of miss this background. And we're in it really right now. We're actually going to do a long study on the background to the Persian Wars. This is, this will be like 40 episodes of build up. <laughs> You know, you're right. You're absolutely right. So if you really if you really want to understand the background, listen to Fan of History. Yes, if you really want to understand the background of the Persian Wars, and that's the, the launching pad of ancient history, because what happens from there, you know, we have... I don't think it's a secret to, or a spoiler to say the major events of world history, you know, of ancient history. You have the Persian Wars, and you have the Peloponnesian Wars, and then eventually you get Alexander the Great, and moving into the sort of modern world over a great period of time. But yeah, it's a good point, Dan. We will be a long background to the Persian Wars. And a thousand years of the Roman Empire. That's right. <laughs> this, is, uh, this will be the future of fan of history over the next decades of the story and years of us telling it, I would say, right? Oh, yes. For sure. So like right now where we are is We've talked about Cyrus the Great. I mean, this is that's a huge earthquake in the in the east. You know, we're talking about the east versus west. So this huge earthquake is happening in the east. For centuries, we talked about the Assyrians and the Babylonians and cultures that were in what's today modern day Turkey, which is you know now is Lydia, but there was all kind of different cultures there. The cultures from Iran, which are where the Persians are. So all these cultures were sort of separate together. And what we see now is a conqueror and a a different way of conquering, you know, and she's not like the ancient conquerors where they just conquered everything and killed everybody. We have Cyrus the Great. It's a new thing. Well, and also the greatest conqueror the world has seen to this point. Absolutely. And sometimes he didn't even have to conquer. He, he sort of, people kind of wanted to join his empire. He didn't have to be as brutal as the old other conquerors. So it's definitely a new way. And that's what makes him great. That does, that is what makes him great. We have... You know, we have the rise of Athens and democracy, which is a big focus of history. Then we also have the rise of Sparta, which is not a democracy. And these forces are about to crash into each other and uh, sort themselves out over the next decades and in about 100 years, too. I feel like, you know, this. if you see what your kids are studying in history or when you remember when you studied it, I mean, kind of like ancient history always started off around the Persian Wars. 
And this is where we're, you know, moving into it, like I said, the background. And of course, there's this up-and-coming civilization in the Italian peninsula called Rome. <laughs> but, but that makes you uh, imagine what would have happened if the Greeks had lost. And we would be talking about, oh, the things the ancient Persians did. Absolutely. Our entire worldview would be different. I agree. I mean, if you really go, if you were to change that, and boy, was it a, I mean, we're not going to get there for a couple, for a, quite a few episodes, but man, they were on a razor's edge there. To, it, was sort of, it was quite an upset. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, can't, uh, I can't wait to get to Thermopylae and the 300 yeah. Spartans. Go Sparta. So, yeah, if you wanted to start the podcast around here in the 550s, you would be okay. I think, you know, it'd be, it's a, sort of a, we're sort of, it's different. It's a little different now than it was way back when we were doing it back in the day. And this is the transitional time between the archaic period and the ancient period. Yes. For, in Greek history. Right. Technically, like a person doesn't say like, I'm living in the archaic period now. And, oh, good. We just moved into the classical period. But yeah, we're in that middle of the time there. Exactly. Have you have you heard about the TikTok thing with the Roman Empire? Uh, yes, yes, I have. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, girls uh, keep asking me how often I think about the Roman Empire, and I don't like the ten-hour answer. <laughs> ten hours a day—is that your answer? I don't know. The answer is ten hours long. I always think about the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah, the answer is ten hours long. What when my. <laughs> My daughter asked me, my 15-year-old daughter, and I said, yes, I do. And, some, and I also think about the Roman Republic. <laughs> and the Roman Kingdom. About the Roman Kingdom here, guys. So we got all the background stories. I feel like it's like a video game. We've said it before, but it really is. Maybe even the Sid Meier civilizations modeled after all this, because we've had all this colonization going on for all this time. All these, you know, the colonies are getting set up. And then you're kind of finding a new civilization, you know. Uh, Ashurbanipal in Assyria didn't never heard of Gyges who came from, you know, Turkey. But now you kind of know where all the cities, all the cities are. Kind of know where all the civilizations are, and it's like game on. Let's play. In a sense, we are back in 1250 BC. That is, we have now finally recovered from the Bronze Age collapse. Yes. To reveal the new map, which turned out to be quite similar to the old. That's exactly right. Hey, if there's any developers out there and you want to make a fan of history game, you know, we'll be your advisors. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, we're we're kind of mirroring Herodotus. And guess, and it's so coincidental, maybe, I'm just asking questions, but maybe it's a conspiracy. Because guess who, Guy just, I mean, guess who Herodotus basically starts his story out with? No, some Assyrian? Guy just. Oh, <laughs> And Guy just was the, one of the first episodes I ever did with Dan. Yeah, that's where you started out. Yeah, exactly. The first episode I ever started with in the podcast with Dan. That was actually, I ever hear, episode 89, named King Guy just. And um, that's basically where Herodotus, that's his first history, before he starts out with a little mythology. So, and then, I'm not going to do a spoiler why, but next, in the next decade in this area of the world... When we talk about Greece and Lydia and such, we're going to say why that he started with Gyges. Okay. All right. So like we said, we're in Greece. And when we do Greece, we talk about the Olympics. And the Olympics started in 776 BC. So these games 
we talked about change of history, but these games are like a thread that runs all the way through ancient history, all the way up into the 300s AD. So kind of like your connection to the past and into the future, these games, you had to be Greek to be in them, but they lasted a long time. And we don't have too many, too many winners this time, so we could kind of blow through these. We only have two. We have 556 BC. We have Phaedros, who is from Pharsalos, which is a city in southern Thessaly. And that's all we have for the 556 BC Olympics. And then the 57th Olympics, which is 552 BC, you also have the stadium. The stadium is the actually the most important thing to win for them in the Olympics, which was a basically just a foot race, a sprint. And winner's name from 552 BC was Ladramos, and he was from Sparta. Go Sparta. Go Sparta. All right, you want to get into this now? Oh, yes. All right, here we go. Okay. So 558 BC, Solon dies. Solon was, he was one of the first law, not the first lawgivers. He was a nice lawgiver of Athens. He was, I'll just quickly sum him up. He, he was, before him, there was this guy named Draco, possibly. How about this, Dan? I learned that Draco might not be a real person. Draco might be a metaphor because... Draco means snake, and where the laws were, there was snake pictures on them. Like because uh, the Athens, one of Athens is, um, you know, spirit animals. You could say was the snake. So Draco being meaning snake, that may be just they just used that name. You know, could have been something they said. May not have been a real person. Oh, interesting. Yeah, right. Like Draco from uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> yes, Draco Malfoy. Right. So Draco means snake, and draconian laws comes from Draco. The laws were very, very harsh. You could be, you know, killed. You could be put to death for stealing a cabbage. So this was, the lower classes were really struggling. This is back in the 600s. They were struggling. They needed somebody to just fix these problems that they had. They were were taking all their wealth, making them slaves if they couldn't pay their bills. So this Solon guy comes along, very wise. Herodotus speaks about him in detail, and he comes up with all these different um, rules to make sure that you can't, you know, slavery for all these things. He canceled debts, et cetera, et cetera. Then he left town and to try to make his rules last. But it really, uh, it, it, it helped, but it kind of like opened the door to like people saying like, well, now I want, we want more. We want more democracy. And they just sort of, it's sort of like the U.S., situation today became very uh, gridlocked, and it became very difficult for on Greece. We have this guy, Pisistratus. He's very important right now. He's going to be important in Greece for a long time. Just about, we're going to talk about him as, almost as much as we talk about Cyrus. Oh my God. Yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you remember him? Yes. Right. So what he, he sees, right now he's in power because he sees the Acropolis by saying that he was attacked by some people and that he needs bodyguards so then he used his bodyguards to take over the acropolis okay so he's the tyrant of athens now right just for a little while this time and he is probably related to solon he may be his nephew or his cousin something along those lines and it also found out that him and solon were probably lovers as the greeks you know the older man would take a younger lover yeah. probably pisistratus was solon's young lover when he was young and Solon doesn't really like, didn't like, because we know he's dead now. He didn't like this business with Pisistratus taking over. And he stood in his armor every day saying, get rid of Pisistratus. So now Solon is dead. Pisistratus is the tyrant of Athens. So at this time, there's three main families that are, uh, you know, aristocratic families that are in charge of Athens. There's the Pisistratus, which is Pisistratus. There's Philades and the Alcamonids. It would be like the Alcamonidae is how you would say it in Greek. I'll try not to constantly try to destroy these words. We don't always have to need them. <laughs> Think about, the, about the, what they would do in ancient Greece as these aristocratic families and where they gathered their, where they gained their power and their support were still connected to the old days. They would say that they were descended from one of these mythical heroes of the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, of the Trojan War. So apparently the Pisistratids, they were from the Mycenaean Bronze Age city of Pylos in Mycenae, and they traced their ancestry to the king of Pylos. His name was Nullius, whose son Nestor was fought in the Tro Trojan War. So that's Pisistratids. There's three classes of people right now in, in Athens, three like political classes, but they're also like economic classes and they're somewhat geographically located. And this is a podcast. I don't need to destroy the name, so I'll just tell you the English versions of them. There are the people of the plains and they are led by a guy called Lycurgus. These were landowners that produced grain. And then there was a food shortage, if you recall, previously. And actually, Pisistratus had... Being a general, he helped relieve that because there was a blockade of Athens. So the people of the plains were like the large landowners that owned farms and things like this. Next population is called the people of the coast. And they were probably led by Lycurgus too, but they also could have been led by this guy called Megacles and Alcamonid. I found both in my research. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more after why. We're not, I'm not sure. 
Then the last group is sort of a new group, and they are called the Hypercatroi. Like I said, I wouldn't try to pronounce them, but I did. But they were the hill dwellers. They lived in the hills, and these were the poorest of the Athenian population. The only production they had was barter items like honey and wool. But Pisistratus, being the populace that he is and was, he organized them into a third faction, the hill dwellers. And this party outnumbered the other two parties combined. Why are so many people living in the hills? I, it's like I say, it could be, well, these are like your poorer people. So let's say you lived in the plains, but you probably had no political power because you worked for those landowners, right? So they owned all these big farms. And the people on the coast, they're sort of like the middle people. They're like middle class. There'd be like people who maybe even live in this, who do like um, little factories, little, uh, what do you call that? Cottage and merchants, things like that. And the people in the hills, they may have actually lived in the city, but they just call them that. So they would live in the hills. They would be basically people that don't have like a landed aristocracy. They don't really have a lot of any kind of wealth or political power. They even they even say they were like they could have been like recent immigrants that didn't want to lose their citizenship, which is interesting. I didn't realize that, you know, you could become a citizen as a as a foreigner, but this that could have been a new thing too. But these basically were the lower class. You could say like the um People of the plains were the upper class. People of the coast were the middle class. And there was not as many middle class as we have, you know, in today's society. And then the, the hills were the lower class. Got that? <laughs> Got it. Okay, good. I'm going to go back just a little bit again because it's important. Remember this guy, Kylon, spelled like Cylon, C-Y-L-O-N? Yeah, from the 7th century BC, right? Yeah, right, around the 630s. This guy, he tried to over he was the, one of the first ones to try to overthrow the government. He tried to um he was an Olympic athlete and he tried to overthrow the government, but he didn't work out for him and all his supporters, they tried to hide in the temple of Athena because if you hide in the temple, you're not allowed to harm them. The Alcamonids, they tricked them to come out. And then they killed them all, which you're not supposed to do, because that's like a sacrilege. So it took like 30 years of before they went to court and did all these things about it. But because you're not supposed to do that and it's a sacrilege, it's like they felt that they're cursed and they were kicked out of the city. So around 600 BC, the Alchemonids are sentenced to exile and perpetu- perpetuality. <laughs> per- perpetuity. Perpetuity. That sounds like a Mike Tyson word. Perpetuality. (laughs) (laughs) I got to correct you in English. That's the first time. I know. I don't know about that. You should see how this guy could pronounce Egyptian words, too, let me tell you. These guys were a cursed family, but they're still very powerful. And so what they say is, like, even from there, they cast a long and glamorous shadow. It almost made them, like, more powerful in a way, even though they were in the city. They were like just this menacing, cursed group of, you know, wealthy, wealthy people. So while they were out, some interesting things they did, like they got into um, an arrangement with the priests at Delphi. And do you remember the first sacred war when they there was a city of Crissa that was sort of, they were attacking the pilgrims going to Delphi. And so they had this massive war and they destroyed the other city. Yep. That was an alchemist. That was one of those guys that was um, 
his name was actually Alcimon, so that he was um, an ancestor of Megacles. And they destroyed that whole city. They poisoned it with hellbore. The whole town got diarrhea. It's episode 157 in the 590s BC, the first sacred war we covered that. The thing is, like, they're still powerful. And now they got in with the priests of Delphi. They were also, while he was gone, he became a middleman between the oracle of Delphi and Croesus, the richest man in the world. (laughs) Herodotus tells us this great story about this patreon, I should say, patriarch of the Alchemonid clan, Croesus said, he was so pleased with him, he said, you could come visit my royal treasury in Sardis, and you could take away all the gold you can carry with you. So Herodotus says, he came, he went into it wearing a baggy woman's tunic and the loosest boots he could find, <laughs> filled everything with gold dust, so that, quote, when he came staggering out, he could scarcely drag one foot after the other. His tunic bulged obscenely, and even his cheeks were stuffed full to bursting. <laughs> That's terrible. Right? So this is some rich, money-grubbing guy here. There's a reason I'm telling you all this, because these people are all going to be, like, working together and fighting each other for the next couple of decades. So, like I said, her Pisistratus is the tyrant of Athens. And Herodotus says, quote, he acquired the sovereignty of Athens, which he continued to hold without disturbing the previously existing offices or altering any of the laws. So that means to me, like, he's, if you were going to take over the United States, you'd be the president of the United States, but you don't act like a king. You still have to go through the Congress and do all those things. But basically then what you would do is put your own people in the Congress, put your own people as the judges, sort of do it like that. We'll see in the end that Pisistratus as a tyrant wasn't act. He's not considered a bad guy, that he kind of did good for democracy and for uh, Athens. Maybe he's an in-between character. But so, anyway, he is sort of like first citizen, right? Yeah. Okay, so here's where it gets a little interesting, too. So now he's in, and he's in, but he's going to be kicked out again. Because... Remember Lycurgus, he's the guy who's um, in charge of the people of the plain and possibly also the people of the coast. And the Alcamoinides are out of town. Well, this Lycurgus says, brings them back. He says, I'm going to bring them back to get this guy out of town. So the leader of the Alcamoinai clan, his name is Megacles. He sounds like a transformer, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. <laughs> Mega Activate. <laughs> Wait, wouldn't that be cool? Like a transformer that's like made out of wood. Like he could turn into a Tyreme. Oh, that's amazing. Maybe he could turn into a Trojan horse. <laughs> yeah, like a Trojan horse and stuff. <laughs> that is amazing. I just thought of that. So anyway, they bring Megacles comes back because they want, they, they like Kyrgyz didn't feel he was powerful enough to get rid of Pisistratus. So Pisistratus seeing the writing on the wall he sort of just got out of town. They didn't attack him. There wasn't any violence as far as I found. He just, you know, realized he wasn't strong enough to go. Pisistratus is pretty smart. So he's just, he leaves town. Peace out. Peace out. But that's just, this is just, so that's, so this is number one, Pisistratus out. Pisistratus was in once. Pisistratus was out once. We're still in the 550s and he's going to come back right now because these two factions started quarreling already. So Megacles, who's now back in town, 
he got tired of this quarreling, and he figures, well, I'll just go with Pisistratus. We'll just bring him back. So he sends a, a herald out to bring him back, and he offered to reestablish him as, you know, the tyrant, but he has to marry his daughter. He has to marry Megacles' daughter. Pisistratus was already married to somebody, and so he divorces her. He already had two sons as well, and he uh, marries Megacles' daughter. And then they came up with this really insane plan to come back. Do you know? Do you ever hear this story? I think I did, actually, but tell us. I'm going to tell you. All right. So <laughs> they go and they find this tall, attractive woman, like tall, like over two meters tall, over six feet. And she's apparently very beautiful and everything. And they dress her like Athena. They put on a helmet and armor like the goddess Athena. They put her in a chariot. And they have these uh, heralds who are going advance, you know, that she's coming. The goddess is coming to lead her favorite person to the Acropolis. <laughs> and so they, right? <laughs> and this works? Apparently it works. It's funny because Herodotus says he's surprised that this worked because he just thinks the Athenians were smarter than that. I hate to say it, but it just seems to me like, it just so seems to me like the Trump phenomena. Yeah, actually, it, 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 they were probably tired of the quarreling too. and was. Okay, now Pisistratus is back. Let's just go back yeah. to him. But uh, I've seen women who were six feet, but I haven't met a woman who was two meters. So I think six, uh, six feet, seven inches is about two meters. Oh, see, I'm sorry. I always can think of it as a meter as three feet. You're an American, so you are forgiven. Yes, I'm, I thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's almost two meters. <laughs> Yeah, she's pretty tall. Maybe she's like six two. Let's say that she's a pretty tall lady. It, I also think maybe the the way I said the Trump phenomena too, though, like the the hill people. You know, I mean, he. Let's say there's a lot of people who like Trump that are not hill people, but you know, he has a big <laughs> faction of people, right, who are just not super sophisticated, right? I know there's a lot of sophisticated people who are Trump supporters, and he's probably out there, but there's a lot of unsophisticated people who don't. You know, and they could, you know, you could hold the Bible upside down in front of a thing and say, hey, I'm a Bible thumper. You know, that kind of stuff. But imagine the problems they had in Athens here. If the, the people of the plains and the people of the coast didn't, couldn't agree on things. And then they had this huge mass of people of the hills mm -hmm. who didn't agree with anything. So it's a mess. Mericles gets the idea to get Pisistratus back into action. And at that point, I think everybody supports it. For a little bit. Yeah. Remember, I said that was number one. He's, he's, let's say, here's what happens now. <laughs> he's back in power again, so this is power number two for Pisistratus. Power number two. We're in about, we're, we're in about, it's, this could have had, he could have been sent out in possibly 559 or possibly 556, not sure. But we're right around now, around 556, 555, when he did that stunt with the tall woman. And he's back in power. And he's married. Remember, he's married to Megacles' daughter. But Herodotus tells us, here's where the problem starts. Herodotus tells him that he, tells us that he didn't want to have children with her because he already had two sons. And remember, her father was under the curse. So he did, there was another reason he didn't want to have any children that are under a curse. So he had sex with her in an unnatural way. Oh, jeez. <laughs> It is a, this is a family show, so we're not going to get into specifics, but there's probably a couple of scenarios you guys may be able to think of that we're having sex in an unnatural way. Yes. 
And we're not going to kink shame anyone who is interested in having sex in a natural way. <laughs> Definitely, we're not kink shaming anyone on this hot podcast. Especially not Pisistratus. Especially, no, we're not going to piss off Pisistratus. So good old Pisistratus was, uh, okay, so anyway, this was like a scandal. I mean, in Athens, like, this is like, today we don't seem to have scandals anymore, but this was a huge, huge scandal. I mean, this is a, you know, a aristocratic woman and you're, what kind of business are you up to? So Pisistratus, again, seeing the writing on the wall, yeah, which is, by the way, that's an expression we're going to talk about next decade in Babylonia. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So Pisistratus, uh, seeing the writing on the wall, left town. This is a, so he left again. This is number two. He left town. He went to Eritrea. And Herodotus says there he had a meeting with his two sons. He must have been kind of young at this time, but people got started young in those days. And Herodotus tells us it was the opinion of his son Hippias, and these guys are going to be important later, Hippias that prevailed and that they should try to restore his power in Athens. They're not not giving up. So first step is to make some money, make some moolah. They're out of town. They begin to collect large sums of money with cities that were, quote, under obligations to them. I'm not really 100% sure what obligations they have. You know, there's tons of Game of Thrones politics going on around here now. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently the the Thebians gave them the most money at the time. And I know they also got involved in mining to make some, some money. So they're gone for the rest of the 550s, but they're out really making some money and making friends. So Pisistratus is out for the second time. Mm-hmm. He's out for the second time. Not for the, he's not down for the count yet, though. Oh, he's counting a lot of money, though. Yeah, he is counting a lot of money. So it would be like, yeah, we have Trump out once, and he's, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's, only, he's only coming back for his second time. I don't know. It's not. So this is like Trump in 2034 Ooh. or 2036. Something like that. Or, but Pisistratus is a lot younger than Trump. Yes, thank God. This shows you, though, how things go in history. <laughs> Just really does show you. Okay, so we're done with Pisistratus, but we are not done with Greece. Because, like I say, there's a lot of stuff happening. We keep going? Yeah. All right. So in between, we're going to talk about Sparta, but in between, we're going to do a little in between. There, there's kind of a colony, sort of a Athens sort of makes a colony. So what happens is there's a tribe from Thrace. And they suffered some military defeats against their rivals in the area, in Thrace. And they traveled to the Oracle of Delphi to get advice. And they were told to return to Thrace with a Greek colonist as their commander. Delphi is like to the northwest of Athens or south. It's to the west of Athens anyway. And so on their way back to Thrace, apparently they you know, stopped in Athens and they met this guy called uh, Milt. Tiades, Miltades, let's call him, because he showed them some hospitality. He is the leader of these colonies out there. So what it says, what we learned, what historians say is he accepted the offer, but his motivations are kind of ambiguous. The traditional view was that he was not happy with Pisistratus, so he wanted to go make his fortune somewhere else. But other historians say that he was actually part of Pisistratus's foreign policy, and he wanted to exert some influence in the region. So Pisistratus maybe sent his guy out there. 
he arrived in Thrace with a group of settlers, somewhere probably between 556 and 550 BC. And these guys populated and they fortified the city of Cardia. And he also founded a few other cities. His most famous construction was the Long Wall, which which went from Cardia to the, another city called Pacte. It's about 7.2 kilometers long. It was completed relatively early, his reign in that area. So could be around now, you know, definitely prior to the 546. And it was designed to keep the one group out of their peninsula. So like we said, there was all these battles happening. He did go to war against a city called Lampascus, and the war was unsuccessful. And he was actually taken captive briefly during an ambush. And this is interesting. He was released because of the intercession of Croesus. So maybe they, he bribed him to get them out. Obviously, he had something to do with the... He must have had something to do with the oracle because the people came back from the oracle and met this guy. Uh, Croesus loves the oracle. Croesus loves the oracle. Isn't that crazy how all these guys are all connected, though? It's a small place. Right? I mean, it's just like... You know, like Croesus knows this guy from from here, and this guy's starting a thing, and Pisistratus is getting his business going. All right. One more place here in Greece. We have Sparta. Oh, my favorite Greek city. Your favorite is Sparta. I don't know. Maybe I'd be like the Athens, and you'll be Sparta when we, we do this stuff. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> well, I did those episodes about Spartan life long ago. Yeah. In the podcast. They are... Intense, as you know, the Spartans. Very, very intense. They must think the people of Athens are just crazy. Like, what are you doing with all this nuts? We'll just, you just do what we say. I have to repeat the quote from uh, the Athenian exile in Sparta. And that is from this time, I think, or a bit later. When he has lived among the Spartans for just a few days, I think. He's like, Uh now I know why the Spartans don't fear death. They are already in hell. (laughs) Sparta is a very egalitarian society where nobody gets anything good. Right. That's if you're a Spartan. And if you're you're a hella, you got even worse. Yes. Terrible. So, okay, let's go to Sparta. Sparta is to the south of Athens and the Peloponnese, it's called. If you look on the map, you can see where it is. Fortunately, this is a podcast. We can't show it, point it out to you but is to the south of Athens. And as we saw, Athens is growing, so they're sort of like growing their territory around them. So St. Spartan wants to do the same thing. We may have talked about this, but I'm going to put it together again here in this episode again anyway. So if you go north from Sparta, there's, you know, olive fields and groves. There's this territory called Tegea. And it lies between Argos and Sparta. And I'm pretty sure we talked about it, but I'm going to bring it up again. Um, Tegea had a really good farmland, which to Sparta was like, oh, yeah, let's seize that business and turn those guys into helots too. If you remember, what happened was they went to the oracle and they told them that they would soon be dancing upon the plain of Tegea. So they went. When they went to fight the battle, they brought surveying equipment and fetters for their new serfs. But the oracle had fooled them or, you know, obviously confused them. Because the invasion was defeated, and the only dancing that was done was by the Spartans beneath a whip, 
toiling as prisoners of war, shackled by the chains they themselves brought from Sparta. So how about that? Unexpected. So this really, like, was a blow to the Spartan self-confidence, and they changed their foreign policy. It kind of, like, dawned on them that the goal of reducing all the Peloponnese into helots was probably too ambitious. And, but they could still be like the hegemons in a different way. There's no question they had to deal with Tegea. They had to bring them to heel somehow. So maybe they could do something different. So what they did was they dispatched the delegation to Tegea under the cover of a truce. And they said that news reached them of a strange find in a blacksmith's yard. Uh, it was the spine of what appeared to be a monstrous skeleton. And the Spartans, to make a propaganda coup, they took on this startling discovery for themselves. They dug up the bones, smuggled it home, and then reinterred them. And then the skeleton, it was revealed, had belonged to none other than Agamemnon's son. So this was one of the ancestors of the Tegeans. So this, these bones were supposedly from Agamemnon's son. And I don't know if you know about like these, why they would think these bones were giant bones. They would find like mammoth bones and dinosaur bones, and they didn't know what there was dinosaurs and mammoths and stuff like that. They just say they were giants. This is where the legends of giants come in, by the way. Yeah. And I'm not just asking questions. <laughs> 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 I'm answering them. They're, they're dinosaur bones and mammoth bones and etc. So the in the Argives, this that area, the Argives is like that's one of their ancestors. So now this was you know couldn't like more infuriated them. The aim was by putting them in, in their the Spartans enshrining them basically in their own soil was like offering a public reassurance to others in the Peloponnese that she valued and respected all their ancient. Um, traditions, and she's still Sparta. In other words, you want to go to the de- war to the death with Sparta? Let's do it. But Sparta also doesn't want to go to the war. Go to war to the death. So, like she had done it, instead of doing what they did in Messina and turning everyone into helots, cities that would show that they would fight to the death like that, they could now submit to Sparta without a fear of total ruin. So, and then the Spartans even said it will bring them some perks. You know, there's a long history of rivals and wars in Argos and fighting against all these other places. So Sparta offered them a protection racket, basically. You know, we're not going to make you helots, but you're kind of like vassals. So it was like a vassalage. Argos and Sparta are like uh, two, the two Dorian brothers. Yeah. They came to Greece together long ago, and they formed two Dorian cities, and they can't ever get along. Ever. And the Dorians are kind of more warlike, I guess. But that would be sort of people to say anyway. It was uh, 700 years ago, but uh, they are still going. Yeah, that, that, you know, someday I would like to maybe parse that out or maybe get an expert into a special episode of the... Because we got to realize that this... We don't talk about it every time we talk about Greece and stuff, but that those tensions of the Ionians, the Dorians, and the Achaeans is always present in Greece. Yes, and they even speak a little different dialect. They're all Greeks, but it's it's different. It's kind of like the, maybe sort of like the British, the French, and the Germans, something like that, you know? Yeah, and they're united by their common culture now, but there's still some of the invading Dorian culture left. 
Correct. So yeah, so here at 550 now, after they call that the Battle of the Chains, the one that they brought the chains, so Tegea entered into a league. So there's a league now, and it's established and controlled by Sparta and other cities like Tegea. They were wooed and reassured into submission. But the Spartan bone hunters were like going all over the Peloponnese looking for bones and heroes and doing all this, you know, business. You know, they they show that they're going to be guardians of the mythic past, but they're also still true to their ideals as the wolf pack. They're, you know, they practice terror and total war. You know how the Spartans fought it the, these days? How how drilled their phalanx was? Do you want to hear a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we know that there was Spartans were tough 100 years ago, but the phalanx was really like the last, over the last 100 years really was really um, honed down into what it is now. By now, you know, the Greek phalanx is a thing, a really tough thing. Most of the other cities, though, they were still kind of like amateurs, you know, like imagine like amateur boxers and pro boxers. The Spartans are like the pros. They're like mercenaries. They're like, they're like the Wagner group, you know? They're like the tough guys. They're like really, they're not just like, they're not doing this for just fun. There's, this is their thing. Yeah, the big difference is that the Spartans are full-time warriors as they got other people to do their manual labor. Whereas exactly. all other people are not. Exactly. They're the ones doing the labor and they just put their, put their you know, they pull out their spear and their helmets and stuff. Uh, and it mainly manifests in discipline and physical fitness. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A hundred percent. And that's important. And I mean, physical fitness, of course, but the discipline too is so important in war, which is actually what I was going to say, because they would, you know, even just psychological warfare, they would turn your their enemy's blood to ice, they would say, you know, from from far off, the phalanx would be, there'd be high, uh, shrilling, high-pitched pipes. They would have like a rhythmic, boom, 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 slow approach, you know, kind of like you see in the movies. And they would come through the dust and then you would see this dazzling wall of bronze and scarlet you know these bronze armor scarlet capes long hair 
they would burn it. They would their shields would be glittering, right? And their you know their scarlet's like the color of blood. They're slow marching and their their battle hymns coming. Um, then they would yell out a command, and it would be silent, just silent. And then trumpets. And then the hoplites would just quicken their pace, lower their spears, and then start to run at you. Now you're an amateur. You're like you maybe not even in a war before. Maybe you were. But you're like, look at these bastards. And then even not necessarily in a single mass, the wings might come separately, like like a bullhorns, you know, just to turn your flanks. And you know that took discipline. If you were on the other side, you're like, we well, you can't march like that. Like they say, the other hoplites in other cities seemed like cheating, but everyone agreed. It's a terrible thing to fight the Spartans. I was amazed when I did the Spartans episodes when I read about their training that they don't train much fighting. Hmm. You don't train like like you imagine a warrior would train to individually be skilled. Mm-hmm. But that, that's not what they train. It's only physical fitness and discipline. Oh. So they can maintain the phalanx. They can last longer than their enemies. That makes sense. I mean, there's probably at at some point there's when you're just standing there with a spear and making your moves right. It's probably you're more of a tool yourself than actually, you know, an individual. Yeah, and these phalanx battles are always settled by one phalanx breaking. Right. So if you make everything you can to ensure that your phalanx doesn't break, you will probably win. Yeah, and if you're stronger and right, and if you're physical fit, you're physically fit because just like boxing, I mean. You could be a great puncher. I watched. I was boxing the other night, and this. Um, I watched the young kids, you know, spar. And this one guy has been coming for a while. He's like in great shape and everything. He looks like he's in great shape, but I never saw him spar. And then I was watching them. I turned my head for a minute, and he was done. He took one shot in the stomach. He was. He's like, I'm gassed. You know, like you yeah. really, you have to be in shape to be able to handle something like that. I see that in MMA all the time as well. For sure. I mean, and those guys are all in pretty good shape, obviously, you know. But if you take just a regular person versus someone who trains all the time, that's a huge difference. Yes. So, yeah. So this Athens, remember I said we said the East versus West is, smart, is shaping up. But we also have Athens versus Sparta shaping up. And to me, I don't think they could be more different. Like, Athens is kind of ruled by the rabble. And Sparta is literally enslaves the rabble, you know. But in the end, it will be those two cities standing up to the Persian threat. Yeah, and and then let's see what happens after that. So I wrote her in the notes. I'm going to say, a, I said, what a fucking story this is. You know, <laughs> this is why we like history. This is a great fucking story. I mean, you have like a democracy versus an oligarchy with a huge like empire to the east, like building up. Mm-hmm. And it's like the video game because now, so Athens is like, they choose, we choose democracy, you know? And Sparta's like, we choose oligarchy. And Persia's like, we choose monarchy. And Athens is growing their population and their economy. Sparta's growing their, their population by, not their own population, but their, the amount of troops they could garnish by, you know, having these vassals. And it's happening other places, too. It's sort of a, um, let's have a little transition, because a, the Greek colony of Cyrene in Libya is also sort of spreading out. It's um, They founded a colony called Barca, which is this whole area, Cyrenica. It's like five different cities. So this is just another one of their cities and just becomes a bigger area, more powerful and wealthy. And at the same, we're going to talk a little bit about Carthage, but 
at the same time, Carthage is also expanding locally, you know, growing their actual area around them. They're not sending out more colonists. And that's where we are with that. All right, so that's the big story. Just a little housekeeping on Greece and this area for Greece. Um, sometime around 550, the Greeks founded a colony near the Sea of Azov, which used to be called in those days Lake Maeotis. It was possibly founded by another Greek colony in the area. And this basically is technically ends the age of Greek colonization. 550 BC is the end of Greek colonization, which, like I said, it's like the colonies are done. So this colony was founded by another colony. And I had I was going to bed the other night and I just had this thought. We have Greek democracy sort of starting now. You know, really, the, we have the birth of Greek democracy. And the Greeks have all these colonies in that, which is like Ukraine, the Sea of Azov over there, uh, which is the steppes, which is the Scythians and other kind of tribal people are there. And tribal people are usually somewhat egalitarian. You know, they have the rights of man, that kind of stuff. Not They don't call it that. And they're obviously, you know, they'll split your head open with an axe too. But it was very, it just reminded me it's similar to what happened when the Europeans came to the Americas. It's shown that, you know, we don't have talk of like the rights of man and constitutions and things like that until European thinkers start talking to some of the Indian thinkers. You would be, you think there's not Indian thinkers, but there were American Indians. I mean, you know, they had a totally different way of life than the Europeans. And you sort of see this sort of changing in, you know, the 1500s AD. So I just wonder if that influence didn't influence Greek democracy. And that's all I have to say about that. All right. So that is it for Greece. Well, that's it for Greece. And uh, we'll <laughs> move on to a little more things from the 550s before we return for the 540s. And in the 540s, we will also have Rome back again. Oh, good. Because I couldn't find anything new for Servius Tullius. Okay, good. Well, we need it. We need. But in the 540s, I will find something. Okay. Well, and there, in the 540s, you're going to. There's a lot of stuff going on between the Greeks and the Carthaginians. There's a lot of stuff going on in Carthage. In the five in the five forties too. So, what we have, I mean, there is stuff happening though. And then there is the the Cyrus thing happening. Oh well, <laughs> nah, of course, there's a lot of stuff happening with Cyrus and Confucius. But now let's get on with the five fifties. All right. Well, listen, guys. I mentioned um, uh, Gill's podcast, so check that out. Please check out our Facebook page and our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Fan of History couple bucks an episode would be great you could check out dan's instagram page and you have a facebook page too right no i don't just instagram i've left facebook entirely entirely okay yeah. my 15 year old daughter was like looking at it like it was like a funny thing she never she's no idea she's like look at this stuff people pick pictures of their kids up there so <laughs> so she goes up right and she looks at her friends when they're baby pictures it's hysterical <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's ancient now it's ancient history. Sell your stock. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And thanks, Dan. We will catch you next time on Fan of History. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Fan of History. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks. And see you next time.